focus. According to Merriam-Webster, focus is, de- design- is defined as a center of attention or a point of concentration. With that in mind, where do we find the focus of the people in our world today? Well, inflation, perhaps, rising energy prices, the border crisis, rising crime rates, climate change, political unrest. We hear it in the news headlines. People are focused on certain things, social justice or injustice. Where is your focus? What draws your attention most? Paul the Apostle wrote, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Paul made a clear contrast between the activity we have in this life on earth and the glory of Christ's kingdom. Paul reminded us that this life on earth is temporary. And one day, when Christ Jesus returns and appears on the earth, we who live by faith in Him will share His kingdom glory. That's eternal. That's forever. If we, if we have these two possibilities, this temporary life of trouble and the second and eternal life in Christ's glory, where should our focus be? It should be on living for His kingdom and glory. And that means in every interaction we have with others, we should have His kingdom and His glory in mind. That's a kingdom focus. And that is the focus of our study today. As we continue toward our outreach plan called Pray, So Grow. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9 as we look into the Scriptures and see what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us today about a kingdom focus. Matthew chapter 9, I'm going to read a few verses of Scripture. And we'll also refer a little to Colossians chapter 3. If you're willing and able, would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's precious and holy word. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for what we've already experienced. And today I pray that your Holy Spirit would take every word from your word. Not my words, but your word. God, these are powerful words. And I pray that something today, through something we've already heard or already seen, or something we're all, we are going to hear in a few moments, I just pray, God, that you'd speak. Speak to every one of us. 
I believe there's something you want each one of us to know. And God, if we go out of this place and we've not heard you, then that's our fault. That's not your fault. Because I believe you're still speaking loudly and clearly. Help us hear what you want to say to each one of us as individuals. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Pray, so grow, kingdom, focus. Now last week we began this countdown toward our pray, so grow, outreach emphasis. You know, the emphasis of the church needs to be outreach. Uh, what does that mean? It means that we're not just the church gathering for worship, but when we leave these doors, we are the church in the world. And that's the way Jesus planned it. That's what his intention was for us, that when we, that we come here and we get re-fired up, we, we learn, we grow uh, spiritually in our knowledge of his word, and then we go take it and live that word and share that word outside these walls. That makes us missionaries in the field, and everywhere we go is a mission field when it has to do with God's kingdom. In our previous study, we learned that the kingdom of God, read this with me, the kingdom of God is both the rule of God and the realm of God. Now, we saw how the kingdom rule of Christ will one day be from a throne on the earth. In a future day, this same Jesus, was crucified on a cross in Jerusalem will sit upon a throne in Jerusalem and reign with absolute authority over everyone and everything. And let me just interject something here. The thing that grips me when I'm listening to these songs and I'm, I'm worshiping God and I'm getting a vision in my mind of what's going on, what, what it's talking about, I want you to get this, catch this vision with me. Right now we have some powerful and some dangerous people in this world. We have leaders in the world who can be very, could be very dangerous. But you know, you know, there's going to come a day when all of those leaders, they're going to be destroyed or they are going to be bowing down before King Jesus. Folks, I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? I mean, I, when Jesus sits on that throne, there's not going to be any mighty people, mighty people and exalting over anybody on this earth, they are all going to bow before the Lord Jesus. Now, He's my King, and I'm looking forward to the day when He is the King over, that whole, over the whole earth. That's in the future. Right now, His throne on earth is within the hearts and lives of those who know Him, love Him, and follow Him. So today... Our prayer, as well as our should be on that coming day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the sovereign Lord, and that is a kingdom focus. I want to talk to you this morning about what is a kingdom focus. Well, notice with me that a kingdom focus is an intentional concentration on the sovereignty of Christ. Let's think about that for just a moment. Read, read this with me and let it sink in. A kingdom focus is an intentional concentration on the sovereignty of Christ. A focus is a concentration. And you can be focused on a lot of different things, but the most important thing is to focus on His sovereignty. Sovereignty means He's over everything. means He has all power, all authority. Remember what Jesus said when He gave His disciples the Great Commission? 
He told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go and teach everyone what I've told you. Make disciples, baptize. But the very first thing he said before he told them to go, you know what he said? All authority is mine in heaven and earth. All authority. All power. All power is mine in heaven and earth. All power. All authority. That's sovereignty. Sovereignty means it's over the sovereign power, sovereignty of Jesus Christ means it is over everything, everything. Now, Paul said he created everything. John said he created everything. Genesis 1, he created everything. It didn't just explode in, in random, in, uh, in randomly. He created everything. He is over everything. And that's the sovereign. Right now, it doesn't seem that way because men are so wicked and doing their own thing. But one day... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Now, if his sovereignty reaches everywhere, then that's where our focus should be, on him and his sovereignty. Now, notice with me, as we think about a kingdom focus, a kingdom focus stirs a passion within us to see Christ Jesus rule everywhere, beginning in our own hearts and lives. We sometimes make this little statement. I know I have on occasion said that we must make Jesus the Lord of our lives. I, I, I say that, but I'll occasionally say that, but it's not, that's not exactly the right way to say it. The truth is, Jesus is already the sovereign Lord. He is the sovereign Lord. And all we can do is believe it or not believe it, you see. If you don't believe in Jesus, it doesn't make Him less the sovereign Lord, you understand? Whether, whether you believe it or not, that, that will determine your eternal destiny, but it's not going to change His sovereignty. He is, Jesus is the Lord whether you believe it or not. Jesus is the Lord whether anybody believes it or not. He is the Lord. But if we believe Jesus is the sovereign Lord of all, then faith, that faith, will lead to our submission under His Lordship. It will lead to a change in our attitude towards sin and our obedience to God. Now, just let's think about it for a moment. This is what Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 3. Notice what he's saying here. I've got on the screen. If you have been risen with Christ. I want you to read that first verse. Just read that top line. Ready? Go. If you have been risen with Christ. Well, I, I can say that to you today. You can say that to me today. You can look at me. And I, you can say, hey, Donnie Lovett, if you have been risen with Christ. What does that mean? It means that I have accepted the crucifixion of Jesus as payment for my sins. I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I have died to myself. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. I don't live any longer. He lives in me. The life I live now is His life. And folks, I can say to you, if you have accepted Jesus and your life, you have died to who you were, that old sinful person, and you have received Jesus, now you have been raised with His power. Remember what He said about His sovereignty? Help me out. All 
power. All authority is mine. Where did he say? In heaven and earth. He has the power to save you and transform you. And if he has transformed you, that means your old, your old sinful life is gone. It don't mean it won't crop up sometimes. It'll try to raise its ugly head. But in, the, in your position with God, you have died with Jesus. And you have ra- been risen with Jesus. And if you have been risen to, with Christ, read the rest with me. Put to death your members which are on the earth. And here we go. Fornication. That's sexual impurity, by the way. Uncleanness passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. The sovereign Lord said that because of these evil things. Do you see those things in the world like I see them? I do. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming now, that's, the, that's called the day of the Lord. That's the, the Old Testament day of the Lord of which the prophets foretold. The day when God's wrath was coming on the earth. The day when Jesus returns to rule on the earth is going to be a day of purging. John saw it in Revelation 19. Before righteousness can fill the earth. I think, think about how things are today. What is going to have to happen before righteousness and truth cover the earth? God's going to have to clean it up, isn't He? He's going to have to clean it up. And that's the purging, the day of God's wrath. Before righteousness can fill the earth, evil must be punished and removed. And how's God going to remove the evil? By removing the people who practice it. All those things Paul said. The, day, the wrath of God's coming upon those who practice evil. Now, on that day when Jesus assumes his rightful place as the sovereign king of kings, at that moment, when Jesus returns, all evil people will be destroyed. All sinners will be destroyed. Not one sinner will be left on this earth. Not one. That's terrible. All who have rejected Jesus will be destroyed by His fierce wrath. That's what the Scriptures tell us. Listen to what Isaiah the prophet said. Well, well, weep. For the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. And they will be afraid. Pangs of sorrow will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another because their faces will be like flames. They'll catch on fire. Can you see that? Can you in your mind's imagination just see the terrible day of the Lord? When Jesus comes and people burn up like a match. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with both wrath and fierce anger, 
to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. What an amazing day this will be. The day when the sky rolls back and the King of Kings descends with the armies of heaven. In the Revelation, John said, His word will be like a sword which will strike the earth. All sinners will burn up in the fire of God's wrath. That's a horrible thought, folks. But it should be a sobering thought for anyone who chooses to reject God's offer of salvation through Jesus. That is the perishing of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish. That's the perishing, burning up, will not perish but have everlasting life. John saw a day when Jesus comes as a day when blood would fill the land. It rise, is said, to the horse's bridles. Folks, that's a lot of blood. That's because at the day when Jesus comes, prior to that, He has rescued us from off the face of the earth. And when He comes again, we're going to be in the sky with Him, coming back in robes of white. It's on the earth where sinners are going to be burned up immediately. Burned up. The first time Jesus came to earth, it was to die himself for sinners. The next time he comes, all sinners will die. So if this is going to happen, if the sovereign Christ is coming with vengeance, if all who reject Him will be destroyed, then what should be the response of we who know Him and love Him? Back to Colossians chapter 3. Let's read it together. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in what? The name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. When we really believe that Jesus is coming again, when we really have that kingdom focus, it'll make a difference in how we live. If we really believe Jesus is going to destroy once and for all all who oppose Him, then we will gladly submit to His authority right now. If, it really, if it's real to us. The more real the kingdom coming of Christ is to you, the more it's going to shape how you live today. So, notice with me also, second, focus not only causes us to want the the world to be ruled by Christ, but a kingdom focus moves us to pursue opportunities to help others receive the rule of Christ in their lives. So it moves us to action. You're not just sitting back and saying, okay, the kingdom's coming. I'm just going to now be the best person I can be. No, it's more than that. If we, 
If we really believe Jesus is coming again, if we really believe His kingdom's coming to this earth, if we really believe that sinners are going to, they, they are going to have spontaneous combustion and they are going to catch on fire and burn up and die, you know what that means? That means people you know are going to die. Perhaps people you know. If you know, if you know people that are lost, they're going to die. They're going to die. They're going to be destroyed. And that means you might have a son or a daughter or a grandson or a brother or a sister or a husband or a wife. It's somebody, a neighbor, a friend. This world is filled with lost people. A kingdom focus helps us see that. It helps us realize that these are people we know. When they catch fire and burn up in the wrath of God, there's nothing pretty about that. That is horrible. That is, that is heart-wrenching that somebody you know may be destroyed by the fierce wrath of God. So what does that do? It leads you. A kingdom focus leads us to do everything we can to help them find Jesus. It gives us a passion to reach those who are lost because we don't want them to die in the wrath of God. We want them to inherit God's kingdom. This, this is the great commission of which Jesus spoke. The great commission He gave His people. He gave every one of His disciples, including us, His great commission. Pursue people. Get out of your comfort zone and pursue people. Reach people. Plead with people. Paul said, I beg you, be reconciled to God. That's what he said. I'm an ambassador for Christ. I beg you. The more we get that kingdom vision, the more we're going to want people to be saved. Those who love Jesus want others to love Jesus. Those who believe want others to believe. A kingdom focus gives us a compassion for others. And that's what we see in Matthew chapter 9 in our text. Verse 35 and 36. Then Jesus went about all, now notice this, Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, and what was he telling them? Preaching the what? Gospel, the good news of the kingdom. When we've talking about the, the kingdom, and we're talking about all the, the people burning up, that's terrible. But evil has to be purged so the kingdom can come. This world's very dark, folks. It's very evil. And it has to be purged so that the kingdom can come. When all the purging's over with, it's going to be glorious. Glorious. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. They will put their swords into plowshares. There won't be any more war anymore. No more fighting. No more cursing. No more idols. No more, no more stealing. No more violence. No, nothing. When Jesus comes, it's going to be heaven on earth. That's the good thing. Jesus went about all their villages and synagogues, and what was the first thing he was doing? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And what else did he do? And healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Mm. The blind, the lame, the deaf. He healed them. Those possessed by demons under the control of Satan. He set them free. But when he saw 
the multitude. There it is. There's the focus. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like a sheep having no shepherd. He saw them. And he had compassion. Compassion, folks, compassion is what came with Jesus' focus on the kingdom. Compassion is sometimes hard for us, isn't it? I mean, folks, we have so much baggage. Let's just face it. Let's just cut right to the chase. Every one of us have a whole load of baggage, of junk in our lives. So much failure. Some people never get over it. They carry it around with them all their lives. You see it in their faces, don't you? Their failures uh, obscure their vision. They can't see the worth of others because they can't see that they have any worth. They live a life of misery because their focus has been blurred by sin, Satan, and the past. But what about Jesus? What about Jesus? What did he see when he traveled throughout all the cities and villages of his day? He saw them. He saw these people. He saw people hurting, people in need. He saw people weary. Sin will make you weary, folks. Sin will age you quickly. He saw opportunities to help people. He had compassion upon them. And moved with compassion. What did he do for those people? Matthew said he taught them. He gave them a vision of the kingdom. He healed them. He shared the gospel with them. Why? Because he loved them. Can you tell when someone loves you? Can you tell when they really care about you? I, you know, most people can. We can. I can tell. I mean, somebody might pretend to care about me and then stab me in the back. That's happened before. They've betrayed me. You know, look at Jesus. You know, you know, walked around with Jesus, followed him for several years, and then. Kissed him, you know, betrayed him with a kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane. Turned him over to his enemies for 30 pieces of silver. There went his Savior to the cross. And Judas betrayed him. Yeah, so that can happen, but Jesus knew that Judas was this way. You understand, at the Last Supper, he said, What you're going to do, Judas, go ahead and do it. Do quickly, because Jesus knew. He knew. We can usually tell when someone really loves us or when they don't. Uh, animals can. Uh, uh, animals have a real sense of when you care about them. Little dogs and such. I mean, you know, uh, if you care about one, they, they know it. What do they do to signal that they know you care about them? Well, wag their tail, don't they? Wag their tail, jump up and down. Uh, you know, I pulled in the other day. I had to go to one of my son's houses, and uh, there was an electrician there, and uh, he was there, and the dogs, roar, roar, bark, bark, bark at those dogs, you know, like they're going to tear him up. 
And then I pulled up, got out of my car. Hey, boy and girl, they just wagging their tail and jumping, you know, like, well, boy, Donnie's here, and they know I care about him. I was talking to them. Horses are that way, and, you know, I know a whole lot about horses. I had, I had my first one when I was about 10, 10 years old. Uh, and I got a picture here. Do you know that, that a horse knows if you care about them? That's Karen or horse Chester. A horse responds to love and affection. A horse wants to trust. Uh, uh, the more horse trusts, the more he will do for the one he trusts, you say. In fact, a horse wants to please. And when he has shown love and compassion... I mean, it changes that horse. I, I deal sometimes with some horses uh, that uh, have been abused. And they have a lot of bad habits because it's because they've been abused. They've been hurt. And you just show them a lot of love, and it, it works. And uh, I said that about horses, but let me ask you a question. What about people who have been hurt and abused and are in pain? How far does love and compassion go how far folks long way long ways right you just need some love you need some compassion what did jesus give love and compassion say it love and compassion you need some of that loving today you need some of that loving that jesus has there's no no loving like the loving jesus gives folks i'll tell you that much right now Nothing. Now, when we care about others like Jesus did, when we have that kingdom focus like Jesus did, then we will show people love and compassion as Jesus did. And guess what? It'll make a big difference in how they respond to us. And if we have that kingdom focus, we will want to pursue opportunities to help people find the love and compassion of Jesus. Amen? Can you see that? Are you with me? Charles Spurgeon wrote about caring for unbelievers in this way. Listen to what he said. The Holy Spirit will move them by first moving you. If you can rest without their being saved, they will rest too. But if you are filled with an agony for them, if you cannot bear that they should be lost, you will soon find that they are uneasy too. I hope that you will get into such a state that you will dream about your child or about your hearer perishing for the lack of Christ. And start up at once and begin to cry, Oh God, give me converts or I die. Then... You will have converts. People who need Jesus. People who met Jesus. Knew Jesus loved them. That's what we see in the scripture here. Notice how Jesus showed compassion to these people. How did they know He loved, he loved them? He reached out and touched them and healed every disease. Folks, when we have a kingdom focus, we see that every single person is worth, is worth saving. That's right. 
when we have a kingdom focus, we will see people as being valuable to God. Do you think Jesus wants to destroy all the wicked and cause them to burn up like a, a, a match? Do you think Jesus takes pleasure in that? If people die and go to hell, folks, they do so over His love and grace and shed blood. Jesus is the greatest example of showing how valuable we are to God through His compassion. Did Jesus, do you think Jesus grew weary in all of this? Absolutely. Do you think His body ached with fatigue? Absolutely. How many people do you think came to Jesus for help? Well, somebody tell me, how many people do you think Jesus touched and healed? Would you say dozens? Hundreds? I'd say thousands. I'll tell you something. Ministering to others in need is tiring, exhausting. You just ask who's had the ministry to a mom or dad or grandparent that has died, and they've died slowly. You just ask somebody how tiring that is. They'll tell you. It's exhausting. Oh, is it, is it worth it? Yes. But is it exhausting? Yes. And Jesus did it to thousands of people. And yet, He kept giving of Himself, didn't He? Showing the love of God to those who desperately need it. Why? Because He saw every person as a soul who needed saving. I'm glad He saw me that way, aren't you? How did Jesus know what they needed? One, because He knows everything. But two, because He saw, according to the Scriptures, that they were weary and scattered like sheep have been shepherd. Just think about that for a moment. They were weary and scattered as sheep having no shepherd. A sheep. I talked about a horse. I don't know sheep as well, but what I've read is that a sheep is one of the most helpless animals on earth. He frequently wanders away and is easily devoured. No real teeth or claws to defend himself. He has teeth to chew, but not to defend himself. And is almost completely dependent upon someone, a shepherd, to lead him. But he can easily be led astray. Now you think about the people you know, like Jesus saw, they were weary and scattered as sheep having no shepherd. The people in your world that you see every day, how many of them are like sheep wandering away, scattered, having no shepherd? How many of them are struggling, wandering, going away from God's perfect path, following every kind of shepherd except the good shepherd? Folks, we are in a confusing world where Satan has destroyed the hopes and dreams of so many by trapping them in a sea of lostness. It was for these that Jesus suffered and died. It was for all of us who have been lost. In Luke 15, Jesus said, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found that one sheep, you were that one sheep, did you know that? When he finds that one sheep, he lays it on his shoulders to return it to its fold because it was lost. He lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. The shepherd who searched for the lost sheep, of course, that was Jesus. And that sheep represents all of us. The rejoicing that's in the heart of our Savior. 
and it's in his kingdom. Because when Jesus found the sheep, the sheep became part of his kingdom. I want to tell you something, folks. I think about it sometimes. And it really kind of, I have to not think about it too much, it kind of breaks me up. But when I think about heaven and the people that I have loved that have gone to heaven, I think about how one day, me, I'm going to die here, and I'm going to get to heaven. I wonder what kind of rejoicing there's going to be. Folks, people that I have loved will rejoice to see me. People who know you, if you're a Christian, when you die and you get people who have been there with Jesus and have enjoyed the joys of heaven, they're going to rejoice to see you. Jesus said, there is rejoicing in heaven among the angels and the saints of God for one sinner who repents and is found, is saved. One. One, when you accepted Jesus, all of heaven rejoiced because one, one sheep had been found. There is no greater joy, folks, than the joy of being part of the kingdom, being part of the family of God. And that's why we must care, because Jesus cared. He cared enough about us to leave His heavenly glory behind and come to this sin-cursed world and die as a sacrificial lamb for each every one of us sheep who had gone astray. Isaiah said, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what Jesus did for, for us. On the cross, the perfect Lord Jesus punished. It was slaughtered for our sins. It was real blood he shed, folks. Real blood. We weren't even born when it happened, but in his mind and heart, we were there. Jesus died for us because he looked down through the ages. And he said, you are worth it. That cross, him hanging there in suffering and agony. And in his mind, he was looking down through the centuries and saying, you're worth it. And then one day we were born, and Jesus saw us wandering away from God, lost in sin, and He pursued us. In His sovereignty, Jesus made certain that you heard the gospel of His kingdom, just as those wandering people did in Matthew 9. And when you turned to Jesus for help, He rescued you. He saved you from the perishing. And that's why we need a kingdom, folks. Because we need to see people the way Jesus saw us. As individuals who needed saving and were worth saving. He went after us. He found us. And He rescued us. In the book that I wrote for us called Pray So Grow, in day 14 of my book, Pray So Grow, I talk about how we need to get our, let our eyes, our eyes be His eyes, have a God vision. When we do see as Jesus sees, when we have that kingdom vision, 
we will see everyday encounters as opportunities to help someone get to Jesus and be healed, to be saved. This is a page, a piece of a page from that book. I believe Pray So Grow will help us develop that kingdom vision. And that's why I want you to go through it with us. It's a 30-day commitment to read a devotion each day and pray for kingdom opportunities. It's a plan to help us develop a kingdom focus to look for God appointments. You know, those when God puts you into a person's life in a certain moment or puts them in your life to help them find the Savior. Our outreach team will give you a devotional book, Pray So Grow, if you commit to using it. In the bulletin today, there's a commitment card that you can use. You can fill it out and turn it in if you're willing to pray so grow. Don't turn it in if you're not willing to do it. You can drop it in the offering plate or you can turn it in the office. And at the end of the month, we're going to have those books and we're going to give, them, give one to you. All those who signed up and are committing, say, I'm going to go through it 30 days. I'm going to read it every day. I'm going to do what it says. I'm going to ask God to give me that kingdom vision. I'm going to look for opportunities. And I'm going to do something for God's kingdom. I'm going to make it dif- a difference. I hope our Sunday school classes will encourage you. Our outreach director, Joel Hansen, will call you adult Sunday school teachers and talk to you about how we can encourage it during those 30 days. Can you imagine what, what would happen if every one of us, even the people here in this place, if every one of us had a passion for God's kingdom and intentionally pursued every opportunity God gave us to bring someone to Him? It would be life-altering, really, for them and for us. But can you imagine, folks, what would happen, what will happen, if the church, that's become so weak anyway in America, what would happen if the church, if you and I and Christians never developed that kingdom focus? Can you imagine what a difference it's going to make to the kingdom if we don't see people the way Jesus sees them? What would that cost? What would it look like? Well, let me tell you a true story by Chuck Swindoll. Charles Paul Kahn writes about an actual experience one man had in the Deep South. He says, when I lived in Atlanta several years ago, I noticed in the yellow pages in the listing of restaurants and entry for a place called the Church of God Grill. The peculiar name aroused my curiosity, and I died. The number, a man answered with a cheery, Hello, Church of God Grill. Well, I asked how his restaurant had been given such an unusual name. And here's what he said. Well, we had a little mission church down here, and we started selling chicken dinners after, Sunday, after church on Sunday to help pay the bills. Well, people liked the chicken, and we did such a good business that eventually we cut back on the church service. After a while, we just closed down the church altogether, but we kept on serving those chicken dinners. We kept the name we started with, and that's why it's the Church of God Grill. Now, folks, whatever we focus on, we begin to prioritize, don't we? And maybe if we're not careful, like the Church of God Grill, our focus could lead us to cut back on 
serving God. Cut back on our love for Him. Cut back on our loyalty to Him. To just dismiss the world around us. Forget the focus on the kingdom. And then we become known for something other than Christ and His kingdom. I, I believe we have yet to see what God will do when His people get serious with Him about His kingdom and get committed to His kingdom plan with a genuine kingdom focus. You see, I believe if we'll catch that vision, it could change everything. Let's bow together. Right now I want to ask you something. Nobody can answer this but you. Where is your focus? Where is your focus? Is it on the kingdom of Christ or is your real focus on something else in this temporary life? Is there someone you know, a friend, a family member, a person you see on occasion? whom you're not completely certain that they have given their heart and life to Jesus? Would you be willing to pray right now that Jesus will take control of you and use you to help them see, help them find Jesus? Ask God to use you for His kingdom. Ask God now. Say, God, do you want me to go through Pray So Grow? Do you want me to make that commitment? It's going to take 30 days, once a day, reading a devotion, praying and following the directions. Maybe you need to be part of God's kingdom. Maybe you are not a Christian. You need today to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You have to believe that He died for your sins on the cross and rose from the dead. And you have to want Him to find you and save you. If you do, He will. Why don't you pray with me and say, Dear Jesus, I believe You died on the cross to pay for my sins. I'm sorry, Jesus, that my failure caused You to suffer so horribly and shed your blood for me. I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm really sorry for my sins. I ask you to forgive me for all of them. Thank you for rising from the dead. I want to rise with new life, Jesus. I want you to come into my life. I want you to live in me. I want you to help me follow you the rest of my life all the way into your kingdom. And right now, Jesus, I commit my life to you. You're my Savior. And I'm your child. And I commit everything to you today. I give you my life and my all. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. If you prayed that, prayer and you meant it and you're willing to follow Jesus then you've got eternal life and nobody can take that away from you and we want to help you while if you want me to pray for you while you're if you're in here the cameras will be off and you could 
walk down and say, Pastor, I prayed and asked Jesus to be my Savior. I'll pray for you and encourage you. won't impress you at all, but I will pray for you. And maybe, and maybe God's dealing with your heart today, and you need to pray for somebody because they're lost. It's somebody that you love very dearly. And if Jesus were to come today, they would, they would be left behind. Why don't you ask God today, pray sincerely, Lord, help me make a commitment to reach them somehow. Lord, whatever you want to do, it's what I said earlier, you speak to us, Lord. Thank you for speaking. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing, Bruce Steve. Stand with me. Sing together. I surrender all. Jesus, I surrender all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in